King of Kings, how you feeling tonight? Okay, pretty good, not bad, better than some weeks, praise the Lord. Glad to have you. Grab your Bibles. I'm going to do a couple of introductions, and you're going to grab your Bible. You're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start there tonight. So let me welcome you back to the house if you've been gone for a while, but to the others of you that are members and are here regularly, uh, hopefully you're having a good start to your week. And welcome everybody watching online, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and other platforms. Welcome from around the world to King of Kings here in Jerusalem. Saw a couple of um, of nations. I just wanted to mention in the long list of nations today, there are people watching from Malta. Isn't that great? You don't always see people from Malta. Also from Saudi Arabia are watching tonight and South Korea, and there's many more, but those caught my attention. Welcome everybody watching around the world. Listen, we had a, a couple of, uh, of prophetic words I want to share with you before we dive into the scriptures. Is that okay? Okay, good. I'm liking it tonight. Off to a great start. Dr. Catherine, keep them in line tonight. Let's keep that energy going over here. One of our prophetic council, now I've taught you before that in the King of Kings network, we have a prophetic council. This is people we turn to that really seek the Lord and they sense the Lord with, with giftings in the prophetic movement of God and they're able to share that both in a, a circle together for confirmation but also with the pastors and the executive team. One of them shared with me uh, either last night or, or this morning in, in, in a written word um, that sometimes we need to understand that our comfort zones are really a prison. So I wanted to pass that along. Sometimes our comfort zones are prisons. The very thing that you thought was a blessing from God, if you start to lean on that too much, if you start to rely on that too much, it's become idolatry, but it's actually a prison keeping you from the next thing God's trying to break through in your life. And the only person who's happy about that is Satan. So that's one word. And the second word is this, and I'm gonna share it after an encouragement, then I'm gonna kind of share a picture I had while we were in worship a few minutes ago. Now, I understand we went through over the last three or four weeks, around the world, there's been some very important elections politically, right? Everybody aware of this in some countries? Not every country. If you're watching online tonight, maybe it's not your country. But we started with the, the elections in Brazil. And that was tough for believers. Then we had the election here in Israel. And that's a little bit of a mixed bag. Some people thought it was great. Some people said, that's not my guy, that's not my party, whatever. But, but regardless, is it, we came out of that election cycle with a, a little bit of a down feeling. Because even if it, if it was the party you wanted, it's the party we've had before, and some of you felt like we may get the same thing we've already gotten. And there was kind of a little bit of a negative feeling there. And then we had elections in the United States you know, and they are still counting votes. I don't know why it takes so long for some states get done 24 hours. Other states seem to take a couple of weeks. I can't tell you why, but there seems to be a negative feeling now coming out of what just happened. And so I had a, I had a sense of the Lord today that I was just feeling like there are believers all around the world that are feeling like the air just got let out of your tires. Like you're thinking, I, this, is not, this is not how I prayed. 
God, I put a lot of prayer into this. This is not how I prayed. And so I want to encourage you tonight. We had a testimony come in. And I love to give testimony. Anytime God does something good, I want to share that. And we had a testimony come in about prayer. That's why I'm sharing this. There was a, there was a mom. And this mom has a grown daughter. And that grown daughter got pregnant. And she went to her mom and said, I, I, I can't do this. I'm going to abort the baby. And the mom called us. King of Kings family, would you please pray? Would you please pray? We began to pray. We took it to the summit prayer. We took it to the leadership team. We began to pray for this family. And so we got word just a few days ago that the daughter changed her mind. She did not abort the baby. She had the baby. The baby is healthy. And now she's thrilled at her decision to go ahead and have that baby the testimony came back to us. And what's the lesson? The lesson is your prayers just save someone's life. So anytime you start to think and you're being beat up by the devil that your prayers don't work, or you didn't, you didn't see the healing fast enough, or you didn't see the breakthrough fast enough, or you didn't, you didn't get the, the, the job you wanted, or that person didn't look at you the way they were hoping, listen, prayer works because God said it works. There are some things we know in scripture. Boy, you're getting bonus. I'm not even in the scriptures yet tonight. This is just bonus. There are some things we automatically know God's will is. The sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of the new covenant community and the congregation. You don't even have to pray about that. You know what God's will is for those. Pray into it. Then there are other times you're not sure exactly what God's will is, and so you fervently just pray into it, and you pray for God's will, and his will will always be done. But prayer works. King of kings, good job. I'm proud of us. Through your prayers, we save someone's life. Who knows what that baby's gonna grow up to be and do? And may, may it carry the testimony forever that people prayed that baby to life and that God had a destiny for that child. Prayer works. I know sometimes going through election season is hard. Things don't always pan out. But here's the word. Here's, here's the picture I got during worship today. Second point of encouragement. You say, Father, but we prayed. And praying is like, it's like digging with a shovel into dirt. And you dig and you dig and finally you hit water. And you're so happy for the water that you hit. God broke through. God gave a miracle. I, I dug and I, and I dug and then finally water. But right now, some of us are going through a moment in our life where we're digging, and we've been digging a very long time, and we're not used to having to dig this long. We're not used to having to dig this hard, this deep. Our hands are blistered from the digging and the praying and the waiting and the faith, and we're digging, and we're just like, Do, are we supposed to keep digging? Because it's just dirt. Other people are saying, you don't have to div dig this long. See, over here, I just had to dig a little bit, and I got water, so what you're doing must be wrong, waiting in faith. But the picture is this, guys. This is what the Lord shared with me. When you're young in faith, I give you some early victories so that you only have to dig a little bit. But when you're more mature in faith, 
I'm gonna require you to dig longer, harder, deeper than ever before. Why? Because the reservoir is bigger the deeper you dig. You might get something quick and easy when you're young in faith, but the reservoir of water is small. It was God giving you a blessing so that you would learn the process. But as you get older in the Lord, sometimes you have to dig much harder, longer, and deeper. And I believe that picture was for someone else here tonight. Amen? Receive that if the Lord touches you with it. I want to just welcome a few uh, guests tonight, especially here from Church of the Highlands. Pastor Tim, thank you so much for being here. Tim Hurd, we bless you and others of you. There might be a few others in the house. I didn't see them come in. If I do get a glimpse of you halfway through the message, I'll stop <laughs> and I'll greet you. But at this moment, I don't see you, partly because the lights are super bright and I can't see much of anything. But please know that I'm looking out for you if you're there tonight. Amen? Okay, listen, we're going to dive into the Word of God. We're going to start a new series tonight. We finished last week with a series called The Source. Go back in the archives, eight or nine wonderful weeks on The Source. Tonight, we're going to start a new series called We Are the Temple. What caught my eye is, let's go ahead and read the main text because it's the foundation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, most of the time you see a scripture like this, and your attention automatically goes to the idea that Pastor Chad is about to teach about purity. Right? That's, that's where your mind's going to go. It's going to say, oh, temple of the Holy Spirit. He's about to say, okay, guard your eye gate, guard your ear gate, guard your mouth. We're the temple. Don't let anything bad in. Ah, that's where most teachings go right here. I'm just going to let you relax. That is not where we're going tonight. Whole different direction. Good direction. That's a good message, by the way. Just not the message we're going to deliver tonight and through this series. Now, the message of purity is very important in today's world, of course, with instant gratification and self-fulfillment culture, but that's not really where we're going in this. Our focus is to better understand when the Bible says you are the temple and the Holy Spirit lives in you, what does that mean? And how are we supposed to live in that moment? I found it interesting, just meditating on this, that the Lord would say, you are the temple. But there are, there are also other famous and popular things like the feasts of the Lord, but the Lord never said, you are the feasts. He never said, you're the word. He never said, you're the way. He never said that. He never gave us a connection with being those things. So why did God come to the temple and say, you're the temple? See, it stands out. It stands out from so many other scriptures when we connect the imagery. And through this series, what we're gonna, un what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack what is the temple? Why did God call for the tabernacle? Because the temple and the tabernacle are different. Let's talk about that. And then all of the articles that exist in the temple, they mean something. Why? Because God doesn't do random. God doesn't do accidents. So when he commanded us to build it and to make it, it was for a principled reason. It wasn't just to decorate the temple, guys. Do you understand? God didn't say, build me a tabernacle. 
that corner looks a little naked. I need a little feng shui over there. What we could do, if we could just put a menorah over here and we'll put a, a bronze laver basin over here and candlesticks here and an altar there and incense here. Yeah, no, no, that's more balanced. It needs a little bit more color. Give me some of the royal curtains. Put some pomegranates on things. What about some angels and some cherubs? You know, really splash it up there on the curtains. God wasn't, although he is a wonderful designer, shown by his creation how beautiful it is, he, he wasn't just designing a tabernacle. Every article, every piece means something, and it means something to you. It's not just a piece of gold sitting in the temple. It's meant to teach us something about us because we are the temple of God. A little bit different than so many other things. Now, if we were to go way back, and we're gonna start at the beginning, we're gonna understand that before there was a temple, there was a tabernacle. And of course, in Hebrew, the tabernacle is the mishkan, it comes from the root of the word that we still use today. Like if you live in a neighborhood, then you live in a shunah. You live in a neighborhood. And, and the words are connected because it means a place where you live, a neighborhood, a dwelling area. And that's what it was meant to communicate. This is God's dwelling place. This is his neighborhood. This is where he lives in the Mishkan, in the holy tabernacle. By the time you get to temple, the word temple is a completely different word. Beit HaMikdash, it's, it's a house of holiness, the house of sanctification. It's set apart. It's not like everything else. And many times in scriptures, it doesn't even use the word Beit HaMikdash. It just uses, uses the, the phrase Beit Le'adonai, the house of the Lord. It, it becomes even more personal. It's just his house. No fancy word, it's the Lord's house. So where does God live? Over in his house. Beit HaMikdash, Beit Ladonai. So let's look at some origin scriptures about this. First Kings chapter six, verse one. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. That's temple. It's not tabernacle, it's temple. It's the more permanent version. In 2 Samuel chapter seven, we realize, amongst other verses, that the temple was never commanded to be built. That shocks a lot of people. If you're new in faith, and you've heard about this famous thing called the temple, and you're only about 15 minute walk right now from the Temple Mount down Jaffa Street through the old city, you're like, oh, but I thought that was the famous temple mount and that's what God commanded. No, God never commanded the temple. Second Samuel 7, verse seven. Wherever have I moved with all of the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built a house of cedar for me? God is reminding us, I never told you to build a temple. It's never, I never asked for it. So you might say, well, the tabernacle was commanded. How come the temple wasn't commanded? Because it was on the heart of King David to build it. But the commandment of the tabernacle goes all the way back to Exodus 25, 8 and 9. It says, 
Then have them, the people of Israel, make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then God showed Moses how everything was supposed to look, including the articles inside the tabernacle. Isn't that amazing? That when Moses was asking God, what do we do now? We're free, we're out of Egypt, we crossed, we crossed the Red Sea. What do we do now? Some of you need to hear this in your life. God, I came out of Egypt, I crossed the Red Sea, I changed everything. I'm settled in, I'm good, I'm on a good path. Some of us need to ask the question, what do I do now? Because your comfort zone might just be your cage. What do I do now, God? And God would say, build me a tabernacle. I'll show you how to do it. Same book, Exodus 25, verse 40. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You might say, you just read that verse. No, I didn't. They're two different verses in the same chapter. God underscoring for a second time how important it was to build it exactly the way you saw it, Moses. Ah, and so now we just open up a brand new realm. This means either that God showed Moses the tabernacle in heaven or God showed Moses an example of how he wanted the tabernacle on earth or both. Could it be that there's actually a tabernacle in heaven? Hmm. I wonder how we could explore that tonight because that kind of sounds fun, doesn't it? The answer is yes, Pastor Chad. It sounds extremely fun tonight. We would love to go on this journey with you. Well, we're gonna start that journey, that investigation in Hebrews chapter eight, one and two. It says, now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Whoa, wait a second. So when Yeshua did his work on earth, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven. He went and he sat on the throne in the sanctuary and notice what it says, the true tabernacle in heaven. So when Moses was speaking to the Lord and the Lord said, I want you to make this thing exactly like I will show you. Okay, God, how will you show me? God opened up a veil in, in heaven and, and, and Moses got to look up and say, oh, I see it. Because there's a tabernacle in heaven. He got to see the real one. Hebrews called it the true one. Ah, so maybe we need to flip our, our imagery now. It wasn't that we had a tabernacle on earth first and then God copied it and put something in heaven. It's the other way around. There was already one in heaven and we were shown that example so that we could make a copy of it on earth. And don't forget, you are the temple of God. not made by human hands. We can continue Hebrews 8, verse five. The priest, it says, the priesthood 
They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. For the second time, it says, as you saw in heaven, Moses, you have to make it. So it existed in heaven first, then Moses had to make it according to that. We'll continue, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11 and 12. But when Yeshua came as a high priest of good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Notice, friends, that it says the greater and more perfect tabernacle is the one that Yeshua did his work in. The work on the earthly level was important. But the work in the heavenly tabernacle was more important. Because when he was in the earthly flesh, he died for our sins. He certainly did that. He made atonement for us. He paid the blood price for us. But his ministry was in a temple made with human hands. And he was in a world that had fallen. But when he went to the heavenly tabernacle, he was not in a realm where sin existed. He was not in a body that had ever been amongst sinners at that moment, and he was in the perfect, greater, true tabernacle where he could make the final sacrifice once and for all time. He didn't make that once and for all time sacrifice only on earth. He made that sacrifice also in the heavenly tabernacle. Isn't that amazing? Because why? Because the one on earth was just a copy. He had to do the eternal work in the real one. That needs to open up somebody's spirit today. Not made with human hands. The one on earth is just a copy. Revelation continues this in chapter 11, verse 19, speaking of a heavenly temple. It says, then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So even John saw into heaven, and he saw God's temple, or possibly he saw the original tabernacle. So that's amazing that Moses got to see it, and he saw the tabernacle. John got to look into heaven, and he saw the tabernacle, or temple, depending. So interesting that God had made it first in heaven, then gave us a copy and later called us the temple. There's a lot of richness and depth here. We need to continue our research. Now, when it says God does not dwell in a temple made with human hands, you should not be receiving from that scripture something negative like, well, if, if you make it, then God won't dwell there. What it's saying is he doesn't only dwell in places where, that are made with the hand of men. He also dwells in a temple that's not made with human hands and is not of this creation. You heard me read that. It is not of this creation. No man made it. Well, we made the tabernacle and we made the temple. 
So clearly he's talking about the temple in heaven, not made in this creation. So there's a series, and you can just do this as a fun Bible study. Go through and learn different verses that explain God's dwelling place in his temple in heaven. I'll give you a couple of examples. Psalm 11, verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth and his eyes examine them. Habakkuk 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Samuel, 2 Samuel 22, 7. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God and from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry for help came to his ears. Micah chapter one, verse two. Hear, O people, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now there should be no doubt in any of our minds that there is a tabernacle in heaven, and there possibly is a temple in heaven. Maybe it's the same thing that John and Moses saw, or maybe it's two different things. But what we know of, it's there, because it is the it is the location at which Yeshua had to do the greater and more perfect sacrifice once and for all time. And don't forget, you are called the temple of God. Now, if we jump into the book of Acts for a second, Acts chapter seven, go ahead and turn there or flip there or scroll there or however you get there. Acts 7, 44, because I'm gonna read a whole paragraph and it's a quick history of the tabernacle and temple. Acts 7:44. Our ancestors, they had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern that he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Did you catch that? What are you gonna make for me, a temple? My hand's already made that. So God's hands are the ones that made the heavenly tabernacle and temple. David drew the plans for the earthly temple, because remember, the temple was never commanded on earth, it was the tabernacle. God would not allow David to build it because he said, I see your heart, but you're a man of blood. Your son Solomon will build it. So Solomon actually built the first temple. Again, God did not command it, but he allowed it. And the reason we know God not only allowed it, but blessed it, was when the temple was finished and dedicated, the presence of God came. And he anointed it. And he said, okay, I didn't ask for this, but thank you. I'm gonna let my presence dwell here. Now, there's an interesting twist we're about to get to regarding the tabernacle and the temple of Solomon. Later, of course, we know that that temple is destroyed and a second temple is built. So it's destroyed in about 586 BC and it's, it's rebuilt about 70 years later in 516. And of course, that lasts until the Roman period and it's destroyed again. 
The second temple is destroyed in about 70 AD under the Roman rule. But here's the twist. Revelation 21, 22. It's about to get real fun. Revelation 21, 22, check this out. Speaking about the age to come, not talking about the millennial reign on earth, the age to come. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. But Pastor Chad, you just made several points that Moses and John both saw the tabernacle and temple in heaven. You really emphatically went after that. Are you backtracking now? Are you saying there's no temple in heaven? I'm not saying that. Watch, it gets cleared up in Revelation 21, verse one and two. Check this out. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And in that new Jerusalem, there was no temple, because Yeshua was there, and he's the temple. I don't know if you caught everything that there was to catch there. New heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem come down out of heaven. Come on, amen, somebody. Came out of heaven. Remember where the temple is? In heaven. It came out of heaven. That's what he saw. And in that new place, there's no temple. These scriptures are not contradicting one another because the new Jerusalem doesn't have a temple, but it came from heaven where there was a temple or there is a temple or there is a tabernacle. They're not contradictory. It actually helps a lot because then you can understand when the apostle Paul saw into the heavens, you'll understand what he did and what he did not see. You see. What Moses saw, what John saw, what Paul saw. But I did find it as an interesting twist in the New Jerusalem, there's no temple. Because he's there. What do you need a temple for? But guess who else is there? You are. And you are already called the temple of God. You're there. And he's there. We don't need one now. So you have to understand from all of this, then what is the temple for? If it's not gonna be in the age to come, then why do we need it now? Because it's supposed to show you something about you. The temple is a lot more personal than you think it is. I don't want you to walk away from tonight's message or from this series and think of the temple as this beautiful building and they did sacrifices and, and celebrations there in this old ancient Israelite culture and leave it over there. I want you to embrace by the end of this series that you are the temple of God. That when God was writing about it in Exodus 25 and Exodus 16 and Exodus 36 and other places that he's talking about you. Don't distance yourself from it because you are it. So we should learn everything there is to know about it if in fact we are the temple. Why is understanding all of this important? Why do we need to know the history of the tabernacle and why God commanded for it to be built? Why do we need to know the history of the temple and how it was used? 
Why do we need to know about each article that God commanded to be in the temple? Why do we need to understand the types of worship and the sacrifices that were part of the temple practice? Well, well, friends, it would be difficult to know how to be the temple if you didn't know anything about it. And that's what this series is gonna be about. It's gonna help us all learn how to be a better temple. It's gonna go beyond just keep your life pure, keep your eyes pure, keep your ears pure. Good message, not where we're going. Because I don't know that that's exactly what was meant in the original text anyway. You can glean that, but I don't know that's the depth of all that was meant to be communicated. The primary intended meaning of 1 Corinthians 6, where we started, you are the temple, is to help us better understand that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place, just like the temple or tabernacle would have been the dwelling place, so you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's the main point of that verse. If we were to look at the physical tabernacle or temple, and then look at the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, we would notice how the presence of God was revered, how it was honored, how well the place of God was treated, how well it was kept clean. It was not defiled. And the temple of God was never a place of common things. Commonality did not exist in the tabernacle and temple. That's why when you, we're gonna learn about it in the series, when you walk in, before you even get into the temple, you have to go through a mikvah, through an immersion, a, a washing of the body, and then put on special clothes before you ever get in. Why? Because it's not like everything else. Guess who else is not like every, everything else? That's you. You're not like this world around you. There's not one part of your life that should look like the world around you. You say, Pastor Chad, what about being relevant? We've always taught that you have to be careful with being relevant because there's a line where you can become so relevant you've become irrelevant. But everything in the temple was holy. That's why it's called the Beit HaMikdash. It's set apart as sanctified. You don't bring anything common in there. You dress differently, you bathe differently, you worship differently, you eat differently, you bring sacrifices differently there, you bring offerings differently there. Tithe, free will, burnt, grain, wine, oil, atonement, forgiveness, sin, all the different types of sacrifices, they're listed. God never wanted things to be common inside his temple and yet you're the temple of God. He doesn't want anything common inside of you because the common things of this world are going to decay your spirit. It was not a place to do whatever you wanted. There were rules. Oh, pastor, please don't tell me you're about to tell us about the rules. I just, you know, I just was in parts of the New Testament today and I was reading and, you know, and there's so much grace there, and there's so much mercy there. There's so much forgiveness and freedom. There's really freedom there. You may not have heard the real gospel. 
there is freedom within boundaries. Remember the real definition of love we gave last week? The way you will really love someone is that when you have the genuine pursuit of God's intended destiny for that person always guided by God's law. You live in freedom, but within boundaries, always. And by the way, if you thought there were more commandments and instructions and rules in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, than the Brich HaDashah, the New Testament, I did a study on this. I've, I've told you this before, that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And when I read from Matthew to the book of Acts, I had already counted 1,100 commandments and I stopped. There are more commandments in the New Testament Get used to it. Why? Because God doesn't do common. God doesn't do random. He doesn't do accident. He is very intentional. He's very orderly. He's very planned out. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's trying to tell you how to get there. He's not asking you to wander around and figure this thing out. The funny thing is God has never wanted you to figure anything out. You say, oh, Pastor, I'm studying, man, I'm reading, I'm meditating, I'm commentary. I got a really nice email yesterday from one of our disciples, and he said, and just understand, this is me, it doesn't have to be you, it's just me. And he said, I'm doing some study, and I want to know which commentaries you would normally go to. And I don't go to commentaries. I don't use them. They're not bad, they're great, use them. They're good tools, lots of godly men have used them and, 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 and done great with them. I'm not saying anything negative about commentaries, use them. I don't use them. And the reason I don't use them is primarily because I don't believe God is trying to make me figure something out. I believe God has already figured out everything and he's just trying to explain to me what he's already figured out. So when I'm studying, I'm doing a lot more listening than research. I'm doing a lot more comparing of the Bible to the Bible. Let the Bible teach me what the Bible says under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is not to say I've never opened a commentary. Sure, from time to time I do. But it's predominantly not what I do. Because I don't believe the Lord has us on a wild goose chase. Now, if English is not your first language, you probably said, what is that example? What did you just say? Why are we chasing geese? And then I just changed the word goose to geese, and now you're even more confused because you don't know, why did he do that? Well, that's how that word works. It goes from goose to geese, and then the plural is still geese. You can't say geesen or geeses, it just stays geese. It's a weird word. What it means is God doesn't want you chasing something and running after it, just find it. It's right here, he figured it out. Back to Exodus 25, verse eight. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Verse 22. There above the, co the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant Law, I will meet with you and give you all my commandments for the Israelites. You say, 
I am so excited that I'm a temple of God. I'm so excited that I'm a dwelling place for his presence. Did you hear what happens when his presence dwells in a place? I give you all my commandments. So if you want to be a dwelling place of God, you better get ready for all of his commandments. Not just the ones that fit today's modern culture. Not just the ones that people are okay using. You better be ready for all of his commandments. Because every commandment in the word of God has a principle that you're supposed to take away from it. I understand that we're not all high priests and we're not all Kohanim and we don't even have a temple and we're not out there killing animals. I get that. But in every one of those commandments, there's a principle that you're supposed to take away. Why? Because you're the temple of God. You should be learning something about your job description. Who are you? Let me give you the key phrase of tonight. We have a free will. But because the spirit of God lives in us, we have boundaries. If you don't want boundaries, then you don't get the presence of God. They come together, friends. And the greatest symbolic gesture that the Spirit of God and the law of God and the grace of God and the commandments of God all come together is the Ark of the Covenant, which I'm going to be teaching on next week. That was a teaser. Come back. Ark of the Covenant. Kind of an important thing. Inside the ark, the tablets of God's commandments. On top of the ark, God's presence. If you want the presence, you get the commandments. They don't separate one from another. Now the tabernacle and the temple became the central meeting place with God. It became the center of law and understanding. It became the center of teaching and learning. It was the location of the commanded festivals and the gatherings, the worship and the offerings. It became the central point of testimony to the unbelieving world outside of Israel. I'm gonna say that one more time. It became the central point of testimony to the unbelieving world outside of Israel. You would say to an Israelite, hey, I heard that your God is alive and he lives with you. Yes, he does. Where does he live over there? Wouldn't that be great if your neighbors talked to one another and said, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm hurting, I'm sick, I need a miracle. And someone said about you, well, I heard that God lives right over there. Go talk to that person. God lives inside of that person. They are the temple of God. That's where he lives. That's your role. You are the central point of testimony to an unbelieving, hurting, and dying world right now. You are the dwelling place of God Almighty himself. That's why he calls you the temple. And there's a world that needs to start pointing. They're going to need to point somewhere, and they can't point through Jaffa Gate. Nothing's there but a mosque. They need to be pointing at you. You are the central point of testimony that the unbelieving world needs to see. They need to hear 
what God has done in our lives through forgiveness and salvation, atonement and miracles, giftings and destiny, our marriages and blessings, character development, all of these things are part of our testimony about the presence of God living inside of you. Revelation chapter 12, our closing verse. Revelation 12, 11. They triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Now notice we defeat the enemy through Yeshua's blood and our testimony. But also notice that we did not love our bodies so much. Come on, temples. You didn't love your body so much to shrink back away from death. That when you were called forth, you stood forward. Because you stood for truth. And you gave the testimony of God to a dying world around you. Friends, that's why we're the temple of God. To be the central point of testimony. To be the dwelling place of the Lord himself. Now from this point forward in the series, we're gonna be talking about how the temple is built, how it's arranged, the articles in the temple. But remember, I don't want you to think about it just for a history lesson. I'm really not into you thinking about it just for decorations and God balancing out how he wanted his house to look. I want you to think about it in terms of, if I am the temple, then what were these things for? Because they live inside of you also. There's an altar you need to know about. There's a menorah you need to know about. There's a bronze basin you need to know about. There's the showbread you need to know about. There's the altar of incense you need to know about and display in your life so that an unbelieving world outside can look and say, I heard the presence of God is over there. Let's go talk to them. Can you stand to your feet? Let me bless you with this today. The worship team is coming. As we like to say, just put yourself in a position to receive a gift. Whatever your body looks like in that moment, that's fine. We just want your outside to match your inside. So how would you receive something from the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you for the consistency of your word. That from Moses to Joshua to David and Solomon to Daniel to Paul to John, that there's never been an inconsistency in your word. That if you said there was a heavenly tabernacle first, then we receive it. And if you said the earthly tabernacle was nothing but a copy and a shadow, then we receive it. And if you said we are your temple and we are your dwelling place for the spirit of God, then we receive it today in the name of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord. Would you teach us more? Would you teach us to go deeper, God? Spirit, speak to us. Give us words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning spirits, miracles, power, angelic visits. Everything written in your word, we want it today. We're asking you to pour out more. We're inviting you, Holy Spirit, come. Just as the Holy Spirit fell when the tabernacle was finished, and he fell when the tabernacle and the temple were both finished, so we ask you to fall today. 
fall on us. And for those that receive the earlier word that they need to keep digging, there's a larger reservoir of living water that if you had to only dig a shallow depth early on in your believing life, that's because you were young and your faith and the Lord wanted to give you a victory. But now, the greater things might require greater depth. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your word. Fill us with your presence and your spirit today. Thank you, Lord God, Yeshua. Hallelujah. 